Welcome to the Dick Schroeder Podcast. Dick draws his teaching from a deep well of love for the Bible and 50 years of strategic ministry among university students. Enjoy this episode and remember, your Father in Heaven loves you. Well, can you believe it? It's the last day of the quarter. I mean, last class of the quarter. Last day of the quarter here. <laughs> we'll cut it short for this. Yes, t- today will be the final. Final lecture. <laughs> it's one good thing in this class. God gives the finals. And he grades on a pass-fail basis. Yeah. And you have to keep doing it until you pass. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Yeah, God, God is the, he's the good teacher. Probably the, first of all, I just want to say I appreciate your faithful attendance and your attentiveness to to know God and to take in the things that I've said. I've really appreciated the, the thirst and the, the hunger that you've had. And I really pray that the things that I've shared in the class will will be integrated into your lifestyles because the whole essence of Christianity is a relationship with God and not a theory or somehow just knowledge about God. But what, what we're aiming at is that as a result of this class, your appetite and your view of God will be changed so that you'll be able to walk with him day by day in a greater way, in a greater way. And that's been my, that's the reason, been, that's the reason I have taught this is that you might know God better. In looking back over the quarter, the first lecture that we started with was knowing God. And again, knowing the God who is there, not just you know, some biblical abstracts, but we're talking about knowing the person of God. Talked about knowing his love, which is his, his always his benevolent choice of willing for our highest good. In other words, God, everything God does is for our benefit. It's impossible for God to do something that is not for our ultimate good. That's against his character. Talked about his mercy, his willingness to pardon in the face of our failure when we show the just cause of wanting to live by the truth. When we're wanting to do what's right, God's mercy is, is unlimited towards us. We talked about his fairness and his justice, and, and his righteousness is tied right in with this, that God is absolutely fair in everything that he does. And on the judgment day, everyone is going to have a, a fair deal from God. No one is going to get ripped off. We talked about his holiness, which is, is God's purity, his his um just the awesomeness that everything he does is done in love. That's what God's holiness is all about. And we also took a, a, a class and we talked about hell and why it's necessary for there to be a hell. Last week, we talked about God's faithfulness. Our security in all the covenants and promises God has made is based on his faithfulness. And God will not let one word of his ever return void. And God, in the end, and, and always has and always will, always fulfill all of his obligations of love to us. God will never be found lacking in, in fulfilling all of his responsibilities. The anger and the wrath of God is God gets angry at moral beings that willfully disobey things that they know not to do. Understand this, that God gets angry when we willfully rebel. God does not get angry at our mistakes and failures. Sometimes we have this concept that God gets, you know, is ready to hurl lightning bolts at us when we make mistakes. That's not true. God is very merciful and patient. And, 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 you know, the scripture says he's long-suffering. He doesn't get upset, and he doesn't lose patience with us when we're struggling along trying. The anger of God, though, burns at those who say, I'm not going to do that, God. That stubborn, defiant attitude that when you know what's right to do, and yet you, you refuse to do it, that's when God's anger begins to burn. And we're going to look at a couple examples today that we'll see some examples of God's anger. It, it's a terrifying thing to know that, you know, when you think of how big and how awesome God is when he gets angry and when he gets roused, uh, it's, it's a terrible thing to be, on, to be under God's anger. And, it's, and, and the only reason that you'd ever get under God's anger is that if you willfully disobey truth that you know to do, see, it's not an ignorant thing. It's a thing where I, I simply refuse to do that. And that's when 
That's when we get on God's anger and his wrath. Today, I'm going to conclude by talking about the wisdom of God, the wisdom of God, and specifically the wisdom of God's ways. And this is perhaps the lecture where we can really apply all of these aspects of God's character, and we're we're going to talk about how we need to respond to God's character. Luke 16, and beginning with verse 1. Now, Jesus was saying to the disciples, there was a certain rich man who had a steward, and this steward was reported to him as squandering his possessions. And he called him and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Give account of your stewardship, for you can no longer be steward. And the steward said to himself, what shall I do since my master is taking my stewardship away from me? Am I not strong enough to dig? Or I am not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I shall do, so that when I am removed from the stewardship, they will receive me into their homes. In other words, the creditors, the people that he was dealing with. And so this guy summoned each one of his master's debtors and began saying to the first, How much do you owe my master? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, Take your bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. Then he said to another, How much do you owe? And he said, A hundred measures of wheat. And he said, Take your bill and write eighty. And his master praised the unrighteous steward because he had acted shrewdly, for the sons of this age are more shrewd in relation to their own kind than the sons of light. And Jesus said, I say unto you, make friends for yourselves by means of the mammon of unrighteousness, that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. He who is unrighteous in a very little thing is also unrighteous in much. If therefore you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous mammon, and that's money, who will entrust the true riches to you? And if you have not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to one and despise the other. You you cannot serve God and mammon, or God and riches. The Lord really spoke to me really clearly this summer when I was seeking him on this business of faithfulness, and I realized that God is infinite in his provision. You know, there's no limit to the amount that God can create. He simply spoke the world into existence and the whole universe came into being. And God is unlimited in his ability to create. You know, God can create as much as we need. So the problem with God is not a limited amount of resources. The problem that God has is having people that will have the right character so that they'll be faithful stewards over what God has, is, is assigning to us. And it's like God showed me is that if we're faithful in the little things that we're dealing in our lives now, you know, we think of postage stamps and our time and just we we don't have a lot, you know, but God looks at our lives. And if we're faithful in the little that he's given to us now, and then when we have the character perfected that we're able to be good stewards of what he's given us now, in eternity, there'll be no limit to how much we'll be stewards over because there's no limit with God. The only thing that will limit it is our character. And that's why it's, it's very, very important that we learn to be faithful in a very little thing. And, and if you take it upon ourselves to be faithful in the little things of our daily lives, faithful in being honest, faithful in being you know, loving with our words, faithful with our finances, faithful with our time, faithful about not cheating and not cheating on taxes, not cheating in classes, not taking what isn't ours, you know. There's just millions of ways every day that we can prove our faithfulness. And God watches us, and if we're faithful even when man would not see us, but we know that God sees everything, and if we're faithful in those little things, one day God is going to make us ruler over much. And that's, I think that entails our reward in eternity. But I wanted to mention that because we, li- we live in an unfaithful society. People try to rip everybody off at any moment that they can. You know, if they think they can get away with it, they do it. But if we realize that God is watching us and he allows circumstances to come into our lives to test our faithfulness, you know, sometimes we'll get more change at the cash register than is due us. Are we going to be faithful 
And when we realize it, are we going to give it back or are we going to go, well, you know, they don't know and I need the extra money and boom, see, we're caught being unfaithful with a little. And that disqualifies us from future rulership in God's kingdom. So God allows things to come into our lives and he allows circumstances to test us and to work his character into our lives. And just like God is all these things here, these character traits that we've talked about, that's how God wants us to be. And, and so things come into our lives in order to test us and to build the character of God in our lives. And if we see that, you guys, we'll not get caught in the problems of murmuring and criticizing that the children of Israel got into. And I want to look at that. But before we look at that, I want you to turn with me to Proverbs chapter 8. Proverbs chapter 8 is a chapter on wisdom. God's ways are always born out, or God works in ways that the Bible calls wisdom. And I've listed three words up here on, on this side of the board. Knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. Knowledge is what has to do with what. Wisdom has to do with how. It has to do with courses of action. And understanding has to do with the why. And the, all of those three elements are needed in our Christian, Christian walk. We need to know knowledge about God. We need to have the knowledge of God. We need to have the wisdom of God to know what, how to do something and, we, and most of all, we need the understanding, which is the why. Have you ever been in situations and wondered why this thing happened to you? And, you know, things happen and, you know, you might know what happened to you, but you don't know the, the how or the why of it. And that's why the scripture exhorts us to seek for wisdom and understanding. And do you believe that God wants to let you in on the, the reason why he's testing you? Sure he does. He wants you to know what he's after in your life. And so it's for us to seek him and to ask him, Lord, what's going on? Why, does, why did this thing happen in my life? And as we seek the Lord, he's going to show us the reason this is happening. And remember, because God is love, he allows things to come into our lives that are ultimately going to be a blessing to us. And so really, when we understand these things, there should be no room for murmuring or complaining. We should always be able to rejoice in the Lord, even in difficult circumstances. Proverbs 4.7, before we look at Proverbs 8, Proverbs 4.7 says, The beginning of wisdom is acquire wisdom. And now King James says, The beginning of wisdom is get wisdom. And with all you're getting or all you're acquiring, get understanding. Understanding is a, a tremendously important quality because it's the why. It's the understanding why certain things are going on and why God is permitting or allowing or, or working things out in a certain way. Now, Proverbs chapter 8 says, Does not wisdom call and understanding lift up her voice? On the top of the heights beside the way where the paths meet, she takes her stand. Besides the gate at the opening to the city, at the entrance of the door, she cries out, To you, O men, I call, and my voice is to the sons of men. O naive ones, discern prudence, and O fools, discern wisdom. Listen, for I shall speak noble things, and the opening of my lips will produce right things. For my mouth will utter truth, and, my, and wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the utterances of my mouth are in righteousness. There is nothing crooked or perverted in them. They are all straightforward to him who understands. Again, the quality of understanding. And right to those who find knowledge. Take my instruction and not silver. Take my instruction and not silver. And knowledge rather than the choicest gold. For wisdom is better than jewels. How many of you like jewels? You know, I know a lot. Sometimes ladies appreciate jewels more than, than guys do. But, you know, they're pretty. But the scripture says more than any material thing that you would prize, go after wisdom and knowledge. And all desirable things cannot compare with her. 
speaking of, of this is speaking of Jesus really because he is the wisdom of God but all desirable things that you can imagine do not compare with the wisdom and the true knowledge of God I wisdom dwell with prudence and I find knowledge and discretion the fear of the Lord is to hate evil pride and arrogance in the evil way and the perverted mouth I hate counsel is mine sound wisdom is mine I am understanding and power is mine. By me, kings reign. If you're going to be a leader, you need wisdom. And, and rulers decree justice by wisdom. By me, princes rule and nobles and all who judge rightly. I love those who love me and those who diligently seek me will find me. There's the promise. If we seek the wisdom of God, we'll certainly find it. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. See, not the kind of wealth that will pass away, but eternal wealth. My fruit is better than gold, even pure gold, even at $800 an ounce gold, and my yield than the choicest silver. I walk in the way of righteousness and in the midst of the paths of justice to endow those who love me with wealth that I may fill their treasuries." That's God's heart towards us, wanting to give us of himself. Skip down to verse 32. Now, therefore, O sons, listen to me, for blessed are they who keep my ways. Heed my instruction and be wise, and do not neglect it. Blessed is the man who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at my doorposts, for he who finds me finds life. Remember the list that we drew of the consequences of obeying the law and versus the consequences of disobeying the law, that big list of negative things and the big list of positive things. The one who finds the, this right relationship with God finds wisdom and finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who sins against me injures who? Himself. See, the consequences of sin. And those who hate me love death. And so God, according to his, his infinite understanding and wisdom, he works out situations in our lives in order to teach us of his wisdom and of his knowledge. Now, in Isaiah 55, we have a, a really a familiar scripture, I'm sure, to many of you. Isaiah 55, we'll begin with verse 6. You ever thought of this, that Isaiah wrote, some 66 chapters of scripture out of his knowledge of God. Isaiah, these are kind of the memoirs of Isaiah. And there's some of, just a little bit of the expression of the relationship that Isaiah had with the Lord. And because Isaiah had the personal relationship with God, God was able to speak to him and instruct him by the power of the Holy Spirit to write down certain things about his relationship with God. And so these are just, Isaiah's diary, as it were, of his relationship with God. And you can have that same kind of relationship with God. See, It's not limited to Isaiah or Ezekiel or Jeremiah, but it's something that every one of us can have. Every one of us can have that, that, that wonderful fulfillment of knowing God in, in a personal way. And so Isaiah seeks us. He says, seek, or he persuades us or uh, exhorts us. He says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. For as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth and make it bare and sprout and furnish seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word, which goes forth from my mouth, it shall not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. Now, Isaiah said, and, and God was saying that his ways are higher than ours, just as the heavens 
are so much higher than the earth. Now, what that's saying to me is that God, the way God works out situations in our lives is beyond our understanding. His ways are beyond our understanding. And God is always going to, you're never going to be able to second guess God. And just when you think you have God, he's going to be over here. And you're going to go, wow, how do you end up over there? And, and that's because God's ways confounds the wisdom of men. And God is just so much more smarter than we are. He just, he's always one step ahead of us. And that's why his ways are higher than our ways. So this is why it's such an adventure walking with God. You never know what he's going to do next. You never know what he's going to do next. You know, Jesus going along and, you know, one day heals the blind man's eyes by spitting in the sand, making a little mud pie and putting it on the guy's eyes and said, now go and wash in the pool of Siloam. So the guy finding his way to the pool, he washes and then he receives his sight. See, God's ways are higher than our ways. And people said, oh, man, this is really stupid. Or others pick up on it and start the denomination of the spit in the spit in the sand and rub mud in the eye club, you know. You know, see, because God's ways are higher than our ways. But we, but where we cannot know God's ways, what can we know with certainty? His character. See, his character is unchangeable, and we always know. That whether or not we know the way he's going to work, we know the character of the one who is working. And this is where our security comes, is knowing the God behind the circumstance. See, we know the God behind the circumstances in our lives. We might not understand all the things that happen to us. We might, and most of us are going to go through puzzling experiences, experiences where it might seem as though God has left us, where it might seem as though there is no God. But by knowing his character, we can lay a hold of all these attributes that we've talked about this quarter, and we have something to hold on to, even though the circumstances might say totally different, you see? And God, again, is going to test our knowledge of him by throwing things in our way that, that are beyond us and beyond our understanding. But what is not beyond our understanding is the revelation of who God is. And that's where we'll all get tested, you guys. And if we're able to see that, that you know, God is he's loving, he's just, he's faithful, he's holy, he's righteous, he's going to be fair to me. If I can lay a hold of all those things, I can, by faith, go through any trial. And I can come out on the other side victorious, and God will glorify himself through it. Because so many Christians get tripped up when things don't go their way. You know, people go along, and, and when you're kind of on the honeymoon stage with the Lord, everything's great. And boy, it's just a blast. And you know, everything God does is for a blessing to you. And you're just saying, man, this is so good. I'm going to walk with God forever. You know, and then the honeymoon's over and things start going against you. And you think, man, what's happened? And it seems that your Christian life falls apart or certain areas of your Christian life fall apart. And it's at that point when we have to start laying a hold of God's character and saying, Lord, I don't know what's happening, but I still know that you're faithful. I still know that you're just. I still know that you love me. And God wants us to lay a hold of that by faith. See, faith in the character of God. And then we can go through those times and emerge on the other side victorious. Or the other option, and this is tragic, what happens is people get bitter and they turn away from God. And they say, well, God, you know, if you're going to treat me that way, fooey on you. And they just, and they get aloof from God and they, they stagnate in their relationship with him and fall into religious tradition, religious ruts instead of the life-giving relationship that we're intended to have with him. And because God deals with us as sons and daughters. He wants us to grow up. He loves us enough to put us through those trials so that we're going to emerge as strong believers. See? And God's got the eternal view in mind. He's, God is more interested in our character than he is our happiness. God, you know, God wants us to be happy, but he, more so he wants us to be converted into his image and, and transformed. And if that means some pain and suffering, he loves us enough to let us go through that. See, God's not in it just for our immediate good, but he's in it for our eternal good. And, and God knows that, that suffering and trial and tribulation works strength into our character. 
And so even though he doesn't delight in our suffering, he loves us enough and he's wise enough to let us go through those times of struggle so that we might emerge on the other side victorious. And so in any trial, you guys, you can know God's character and still not understand all the ramifications of what's going on. You know, things might fall apart in your life. You know what's going on. But you know the God that's in charge of all of those things. And if you hang with him and refuse to let the, the accusations of the enemy and all of the, the junk that will come against you, if you can persevere through that, then you're going to come through on the other side victoriously. Now, let's turn to Exodus. I want to show you this, the examples of this in Exodus beginning with chapter 15. How many of you want to know God today? All right. Now, if you, when, you, when you raise your hand, you're signing up for trials and tribulations. <laughs> you are. <laughs> you just are, man. You're signing up for trials and tribulations. You really are. Because things are not going to go smoothly when you want to know God. The rock, the, the, the path up Mount Sinai is a rough, steep, difficult path to climb. And only those who really want to know God make it to the top. And God has made it that way so that, that you know, those who are willing to fight and, and to persevere up that difficult trail, those are the ones that are going to receive the prize. And God makes the path hard because of the prize. It's worth knowing God. See, the, the supreme God is the most important being in the universe, and therefore the prize is worth it. It's worth it in the end. And Paul said that the sufferings of this present time are not even worthy to be compared with the prize that will be revealed at the revelation of Jesus. Whatever price we pay here, and no matter how high we think the cost is here, at the other side it isn't going to even be, it won't even tip the scale compared to the glory and the, and the beauty that it will work in our characters eternally. And say, God's got everything. He's going to make things come out on the wash on the judgment day. But here we need to face the fact that we're going to have trials and tribulations. Now, Israel, after God had brought them out of Egypt, he brought them into the wilderness. And this is when God's dealing began with Israel. Now, remember, the God that's dealing with us is this God here. It's the God we've been talking about, the God of love, justice, holiness, faithfulness. God of wisdom. It's, it's, God did not change after they came out of Egypt. He still had the same loving intentions for their lives. But let's, let's look what happened. Right after the Red Sea had opened up, they had a three-day hallelujah breakdown, and they were, had singing and dancing, and they were singing this psalm of praise to God. And they had just gotten, gotten done with this hallelujah breakdown, and they went out into the wilderness. And we'll begin with Exodus 15 and verse 22. It says, then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days into the wilderness and found no water. Now, think of this. Had God, had God been thinking about their need for water? Now listen, you know, think. Had God been thinking about their need for water? Did God have a way to give them water? Was God just being a meanie and seeing what he could extract out of Israel, see how many he could make them suffer a little? No. See, God's intentions are always loving, kind. He's got a purpose. Now, we might not understand his way. Three days without water is his way being higher than our way. We don't understand that. But we know the one who's leading us out in the wilderness. Okay, and it says, when they came to Merah, they could not drink the waters of Merah, for they were bitter. Therefore, they named it Merah. And that's what Merah means. It means bitter. So the water was bad, and they couldn't drink it. So the people praise the Lord, it says here. Oh, I must have a wrong translation. <laughs> no, so what happens? The people grumbled at Moses, and they started saying, what are we going to drink? And then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, and he threw it into the waters, and the waters became sweet. There he made a statute and a regulation, and there he tested them. See, God was testing them to see what kind of response the people would have. Would the people say, Lord, you brought us out here in the wilderness. These waters are bitter. What are you going to do? We're, just, we're excited to see what you're going to do here to, to glorify yourself because you, we know that you love us. 
you haven't brought us out here to kill us. We're just, Lord, we're just excited how you're going to provide for us in this situation. That's the kind of, see, that's, that would have been the expression of a man that knew God. He would have said, well, Lord, this is an opportunity for you to do something new and exciting. But as it were, see, they started grumbling, saying, oh, man, what's going on here? Because their selfishness was coming out. And, and God sets up a little statute here. He said that if you give earnest heed to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases on which I have put on which I have put which I have put on the Egyptians for I, the Lord, am your healer. And after the test, they came through this test. In verse 27, it says, And they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 date palms, and they camped there beside the waters. And always after the test comes the provision. And here there was 70 date palms and lots of water. Abundant provision came from God. But see, God put them through a test to see what was in their own hearts and to see whether or not they would glorify God and lay a hold of his character or whether they'd start complaining and murmuring. That was the first test. Now in chapter 16, it says, and they came out from Elam and all the congregation of the sons of Israel came to the wilderness of sin. Notice that God never keeps us at the place of provision too long because he wants to take us on and and have us grow up some more. And so, you know, when you come to a place of blessing and kind of an oasis, Enjoy it while you're there, but you're not going to stay there forever. God's going to take you on and move you forward. So they went out, and they went out the 15th day of the second month after their departure from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. I want to to show you here, when they grumbled against the leadership, they were grumbling against God. And listen, you guys, when you grumble against leadership— whether it be spiritual leadership, political leadership, you've got to be careful because you're mumbling against God. You're complaining against his authority. And the sons of Israel said to them, would that we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt when we sat by the pots of meat, when we ate bread to the full, for you have brought us into this wilderness to kill the whole assembly with hunger. Now, notice what's going on here. First of all, they're saying life was pretty good back in Egypt, you know. We were slaves. We were oppressed by the Egyptians. We were being whipped, and we were being forced to do labor without any pay. It was no picnic back in Egypt. But now when they got out of the wilderness, Egypt started looking real good to them, and they started craving the things of the flesh. They started wanting meat and things. And notice they accuse God of bringing them out in the wilderness to kill them. They did not know God, did they? They'd see, they didn't understand his ways. They didn't understand, well, they didn't understand his ways, but they didn't understand his intentions. And so what was really in their hearts was being brought out into the open because there was no meat to eat. Can't you just see God and the things he deals with in your life and how you respond? You know, you start saying, God, what is this? Why do I have this teacher? Why do I have this roommate? You know, why did this happen to me? It's because God is dealing with you, and he's bringing out the things that are in your heart. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether or not they will walk in my instruction. And it will come about on the sixth day when they prepare what they bring in. It will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the sons of Israel, At evening you will know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, for he hears your grumblings against the Lord. For who are we, or what are we, that you grumble against us? And Moses said, This will happen when the Lord gives you meat in the evening, to eat in the evening, and bread to the full in the morning. For the Lord hears your grumblings, which which you grumble against him. And what are we? Your grumblings are not against us, but against the Lord. And so this is when, right after this, the Lord brings manna so that every morning this wafer-like substance was out on the, on the ground and Israel would go out and gather it. And you realize this was a crew of about two and a half million people. 
this was a huge number of people. So Moses was, you know, had a, imagine leading two and a half million or two and a half million rebellious Jews. Oh boy, what a job. <laughs> but God provided for them in the wilderness. He provided supernaturally, for, he provided for them manna. And again, See, the people were not satisfied in trusting God for his provision, but they began complaining and murmuring against him. Now let's turn over to Numbers, Numbers chapter 13. As you read the account of Israel going through the wilderness, over and over you see this thing happening where they, they complain over God's provision. And the analogy today, you guys, is this. When we were living in the land of Egypt, that was living under Pharaoh, that was living in sin. We were enslaved to our own desires, our own emotions, our own lusts, our own selfishness. Jesus comes to us and he takes us out by a great miracle and he brings us into the wilderness where we receive the law, we receive the revelation of the, of the absolutes of right and wrong. And the wilderness is also the place of testing, of whether we're going to trust God for who he is. And as, as, the, as we're going to look at the scripture here, this whole generation of people that God brought out of the wilderness did not, they did not last and go into the land that God originally intended them to go in because they kept rebelling against the Lord. So that whole generation had to wander around the wilderness for 40 years until that whole generation died off. And here's a whole people that came out of Israel or came out of Egypt. God had wonderful and beautiful plans for them, but they never were able to walk in them because of their own rebellion. The New, the New Testament analogy to that is that if you don't learn to walk in obedience to God, you will perish in the wilderness. It doesn't mean you'll go to hell, but it means you'll not fulfill all the wonderful things God has for your life. And because of rebellion and self-centeredness and insisting on things being your way, you're useless to God and God just has to let you die in the wilderness. You know, God takes care of you and he doesn't leave you. He doesn't forsake you. It, it, it was kind of nice being out there with the air-conditioned cloud in the daytime, the pillar of fire, the heater by night, and the clothes didn't wear out, and there was manna there to pick up every day, and the enemies were, were kept away. God kept them in really a nice situation. But see, God could never bring them into the land where he wanted them to overcome the giants and, and establish his kingdom there in, in the land of Palestine. They, ne- they missed the thrill of seeing God move in mighty, mighty ways. And, and that's the challenge that I want to lay with you guys is if you, if you really want to know God, you're going to be tested in these circumstances. But if, if you see that the end of the circumstances is for God to work his character into you, then you, and then you persevere and go through them, then you're going to enter the promised land. And you're going to find the land that flows with milk and honey. And you're going to find that not only are you going to possess the land, but many other people are going to come to know Jesus as a result of your obedience, say. You're going to be a door to many, many other people knowing God in our generation. And that's, that's part of the reward, I think, is that as we're faithful to walk with God, the Lord is able to bring other people into the kingdom as a result of our witness. I'm just going to brief, briefly go through this because we don't have time to read it all. Basically, what happens is that the time, it's time to go in to take the land. Moses says, we need 12 spies. We need 12 guys to go in and check out the land. So each tribe of Israel chooses a man. They go in and they find that the, the land is, is a tremendous land. They, they cut off a bunch of grapes and the, 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 it's so many grapes on it that they have to stick a pole between, on the branch and they have two guys have to carry it. That's how big this bunch of grapes were. It really was a neat land. And they brought back all sorts of melons and, and figs and all sorts of good fruit. But not only was there good fruit in the land, but there was giants. There was these dudes about 10 feet tall. There was armed cities. You know, they were well-fortified cities. And Israel, they didn't have any guns or anything. They, they weren't much of a warring nation because they had been in slavery for 400 years. And so when they saw that the, these giants and these, the, the cities were so big, they thought, man, there's no way that we can take this land. And so they came back and 10 of the spies gave a bad report. They said, man, there's no way that we can go up and take the land. Who were they looking at? They were looking at themselves and not God. 
And they said, man, this is impossible. Two guys, Joshua and Caleb said, yeah, there's big cities there, but God's bigger than that. And let's go get them. See, they had a, they had, they knew God and, and they had a, they had a right spirit about them. And so they were, they were all excited. And I want to read a little here from verse chapter 14. After the spies had given this bad report, all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. And, you know, they wept out of despair as they figured that God had brought them out there to die. And all the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt. Oh, that we had died in this wilderness. And why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? See, again, they, they misassessed God's character. And they figured God was just going to go in there so they'd get slaughtered. Our wives and our little ones will become a plunder. Would it not been better for us to return to Egypt? And you guys, I've heard people say this as they walk with the Lord and things get difficult and hard. And people, I've heard people say this, man, you know, back when I was living in sin, living for myself, life went a lot easier. It really wasn't that way, but you get to thinking that it was that way. And you think, boy, I wish I was back doing drugs again, or I wish I was back doing my own thing again. You know, because, you know, we forget the the bitterness and the the utter despair and futility without God. But when we get in the wilderness, those times start looking pretty good. You know, the grass starts looking pretty green on the other side. And all that's illusion. It really isn't true. But we get to thinking that. And so... The next thing they said, let's appoint a leader and return to Egypt. They said, man, let's go back and say, here we are, Pharaoh. We're, we're going to be your slaves again. Say, utterly insane. But it's because they didn't know God. And so the Lord was very angry. And this is a good example of his anger. God wanted to destroy the whole nation right there in judgment. But Moses and Aaron interceded. And, and God was merciful and had mercy on them. And a pestilence and some different things happened. And, and many... Many people died. And so because of Moses and Aaron's intercession, they pardoned the nation of Israel. But the judgment came upon them that they would not enter the promised land because of their unbelief. And so they, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And you, and, you know, God's plan was held up for 40 years. God intended them to go right in and take the land. But God's plan was hindered. For 40 years because of the rebellion and the unbelief of his people. How many times do you think revival tarries because of our rebellion? Because of our unwillingness to walk humbly before God? How many times do you think God would have brought revival to a particular generation, but because the church was stiff-necked, stubborn, selfish, and rebellious, God has been unable to bring revival? I've thought about that. And I've, I really said before God, I don't want to be one, Lord, that prevents revival from coming in, in, into this university in, in the days that I live here. I said, Lord, I want to repent of any attitude that would prevent you from moving mightily on this campus. And see, it comes down to attitudes towards your roommate, attitudes, attitudes towards your family group leader, towards, towards me, towards the spiritual leadership, attitudes towards the police, attitudes towards your teachers or your employers, attitudes you're holding in your heart. That's the kind of thing that kept Israel out of the promised land. And that's the kind of thing that God wants to deal with us today so that we'll be victorious and we'll have, like it says in verse 24, talked about Caleb. It says, but my servant Caleb, because he has had a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring him into the land which he entered and his descendants shall take possession of it. There's two guys that lasted those 40 years and it was Joshua and Caleb. They were the two spies that didn't give a bad report. And they were about 80 years old when they had to wait 40 years for all these other people to die off. And when they were 80 years old, God took them into the promised land. And, you know, when God looks at your heart today, does God see that you have a different spirit? Does he see a heart that wants to fulfill his commandments, that wants to do what's right, and that wants to follow him fully? Or does he see a stubborn heart saying, well, I want to do what I want to do, God, and I'll follow you as long as it's convenient for me. But when it starts getting inconvenient, don't count me in. I want to go my own way. 
And see, God wants to find hearts that that have a different spirit so that he can bring us into the promised land of his purposes. Today, we're not going to go and take Israel physically, but God has a spiritual promised land where we're going to take nations that are bound up in communism, nations that are bound up in heathen worship and all sorts of false religions. See, God wants to use you to go in and take the promised land, but only the, the man that has a willing and obedient spirit, that's the man or the woman that God can use. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Next book over. Moses says, all the commandments that I am commanding you today, you shall be careful to do that you may live and multiply. Notice the intention of the law is for God to bless you. And go in, excuse me, and possess the land which the Lord swore to give to your forefathers. And you shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years that he might humble you and to test you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you be hungry and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. And that's what God wants us to live by. He wants us to live by every living word that proceeds out of his mouth. And in order to live by that living word, we've, we've got to know him. And so the wisdom of God is to bring circumstances into our lives, to refine us and to conform us into the image of Jesus. Remember Jesus, look at the way he came. Jesus didn't come as the king, he came as the servant. He came born in a, in a dirty stable. He was not, he didn't come as a, a royal king, he came as a, a humble little child. He, he was born to, to Mary, it was kind of whole questionable, the thing of his legitimacy was questioned, you know, because there was this story about him being conceived by the Holy Spirit, and everybody knows that babies don't come that way, and, you know, Jesus came in the, in the most humble way, and he, and he, and he lived as a, as a he, you know, it says in Isaiah that he was, com- there was nothing spectacular about him that we should, um, you know, adore him or anything. He was just a common man. He, was, he had no form or comeliness that we should, you know, follow after him or or, or uh, be so excited about him. He was just a common man. And he, and he died a, a criminal's death and, and, and the whole life of Jesus because God's ways are not our ways. God came in a way that would humble the pride of man. And when we, when we would come in the way of humility, then we would understand God's ways. And, and, and if you look at the book of Hebrews and, and read chapter 11, the whole roll call of faith, it says, by faith, this guy did this, and by faith, this happened. It goes on that whole chapter, and it's because they had faith in the God that they knew. And by faith, it says they shut the mouths of lions. By faith, they conquered kingdoms. Some of them were sawed in two. Some of them were thrown in the mud. Some of them were, were this. Some of them were killed. And all of them did it by faith in, in, in God. They knew God, and they knew that even if they died, lost their lives in the battle, that that wasn't the end of things, that there was going to be a resurrection, and a whole new kingdom was going to come. Even if they lost their lives in it, they, what they did was not in vain, but it, would, it was all going to be resurrected one day, and God was going to build a new eternal kingdom. And they all could do that, you guys, because they knew God. And so... As we, as we close our, our study and, and, and this quarter's teaching on the character of God, I want you to, I want you to take seriously and, and to not, just this, not let this information that you've received just be a class, but I want you to go from here and walk with God in, in a deeper way than you've ever walked with him before. And, and to know the glory of knowing his love and his justice and living your life in relationship with the God that is. And as you live your life with him, your life is going to be transformed in, in just every area because you're going to come to be like him and you're going to live like him and have attitudes like his and not have the selfish and uh, self-centered attitudes you know, that, that most of us have. God is rooting and changing those things. And so I, I want you to, boy, that's my, that's my heart's cry for all, for all of you, that you'll know God. 
and that, and that you'll be able to exonerate God in every circumstance and not have any blame or accusation to God. And, and, and just like Job, that when all these bad things happened, he, he still said, blessed be the name of the Lord. Even when he lost all his material possessions, he didn't curse God. He didn't get mad at God. He said, Lord, you're still righteous. You're still holy. I don't understand what's going on but I know you're not to blame in this situation. And that's, if we really know him, we can exonerate him in every circumstance. And when we exonerate him, that means to free him of any blame, of any accusation, then we can stand and praise him in every circumstance and knowing that he's going to work it out for our good. Because Romans eight twenty eight says that we know that God causes all things to work together for our good when we respond by loving him and, and working according to his purposes. See, when we respond by loving him and worshiping him and serving him, then he's able to cause everything in our lives to work together for our good. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Lord, I want to pray for my brothers and sisters here today, Lord, that as we've talked about knowing you, as we've talked about the beautiful, beautiful aspects of your character. Lord, I want you to, by your spirit, write these things on our heart like I've just been praying every week, Lord. And I pray, Lord God, that you'll make the change between knowledge and, and true heart knowledge and revelation. You make up that, that difference by your spirit. And I would just anoint every one of my brothers and sisters here with a spirit of wisdom and of revelation that they might go forth from this this class now with a greater desire to know you and hallelujah lord i'm expecting tremendous things to happen as a result of your working in in my brothers and sisters lives that lord years down the road we're going to hear good reports of people that have come to know you as a result of their testimony lord thank you jesus and i i just want to seal these things now in your name lord amen Thank you for listening to the Dick Schroeder Podcast. For more teaching and discipleship resources from Dick, visit fatherheartministries.net.